Welcome to The Fifth Palette Almost Killed Me, a show that gives you a behind-the-scenes look at starting and growing a consumer packaged goods business. I'm your host, Heather K. Terry. I'm a New York City area-based consultant, and I've advised and had key roles in not only my own brands, but with dozens of others as well. My main objective is to help you avoid the many mistakes I've made or been witness to in my 10-plus years as an entrepreneur. Let's get started. Hello, hello. Thank you all for being here. I know last week's episode was a lot for some people because it was new, a review for others, an old hat for a handful of you. On today's episode, we are continuing the money conversation with the stages of funding, the three most common financing instruments to use when fundraising, and, as I promised, a script to approach your friends and family with when you are looking for that pre-seed and seed capital to fund your business. Again, a lot of terms here, but if you are going to be or are a startup, you eventually will need money. So the sooner you get really familiar with all of this, the better. Here we go. The common stages of funding include pre-seed, seed, Series A, Series B, and growth. These are the big general buckets because you can also have a Series A1, A2, A3, whatever you need. It doesn't really matter for this conversation, but just know that it exists. You can raise more than five rounds of capital. So those are sort of those subheadings I was just talking about. We're going to focus on the first three big buckets, since those three are the ones that you are most likely to encounter in your first five years in business. Let's get into this. So pre-seed funding is when you are just starting out. Most of the time, this is going to be friends and family money. Some accelerators and incubators will invest at this stage if you have some great innovative idea. And the same with some angels. This round typically goes up to $500,000 in funding, and you're looking at using this money to start and or launch your business. At Nipmore, we raised $250,000 in this round and basically got the product off the ground. We bought materials, packaging, software, things like that. We developed some operational flow but we were still pretty scrappy by the time we went to get the true seed funding. In the seed round, investors will be looking for a viable product. Start by looking to angels in this round, angel networks and smaller VCs. If you have a good network, you might even have friends and family that want to participate here. It just depends. You need to show that your product is out on the market and working to some degree. Investors will want to see metrics, even though you are in an early stage. Typically, this is a round in which you'd be raising up to $2 million, but really it could be any dollar amount up to $2 million. The purpose here is to see if you can get more placement, bigger accounts, Etc. by building more inventory and getting your message out about the products and brand. At Nipmore, we used a small VC that was looking to invest in early-stage CPG companies. 
We had product on the shelf of small and some larger chains. Nipmore was started at the beginning of the big organic boom in food, and investors were circling companies that had organic products. It was sort of like the stars aligning. This doesn't always happen, but it's great when it does. Next, let's talk about Series A. This is where it starts to get big and also very exciting. This is a much larger round of funding. We're looking at roughly up to six or seven million dollars. This is where you really need to scale customer acquisition and revenue and achieve meaningful traction with your brand. That is why you are raising this money. It's a kind of leveling up, putting more resources into finding more customers and optimizing your space on existing shelves or websites while acquiring some more strategic accounts. Next big question. How do we get this money into the bank? (laughs) The three most common ways to raise money are by using one of the following, a convertible note, a safe note, or preferred stock. So what are these? A convertible note is short-term debt that converts to equity. It converts automatically when the next round of funding closes. It's a loan until an actual funding round closes and you pay interest on this loan. Why use this option? First off, it is a lot faster from a paperwork perspective. It's also a lot cheaper. You can issue a short promissory note when dealing with a convertible note versus dozens of pages that go into a round of funding. Also, as a company, you avoid giving the investor control. Secondly, It can delay a valuation for the company unless there is a cap on it. What is a cap? It is a valuation ceiling on the conversion price of the debt. This works to the advantage of the investor, along with typical discounts that are given for these notes. The discount is a percentage reduction in price that the note holder gets when they convert to equity. The idea is that they get more shares for less money because they came in early. Basically, both caps and discounts are designed to incentivize the investor to take a chance on your company. If you are able to raise a series A, B, etc., then they get, essentially and in theory, more stock for their money. Convertible notes are a lot of upside for the investor if your company is doing well, and there's upside for you While you're still proving something, you get money, but you don't have to give up control. Safe notes are kind of new and meant to sort of replace convertible notes. Convertible notes, since they act as a loan, also acquire interest. Safe notes do not. There is no maturity date and no accrued interest. Why use them? Well, obviously no interest. Secondly, like convertible notes, they are a lot faster and they are fairly standard in terms of paperwork. Saves you time and money, especially if you are between capital raising rounds. Outside of the not paying interest part, they basically work like a convertible note. Preferred stock. This is where the rubber meets the road. These people are your partners. Now they own stock in your business and you've been diluted. Good news is, We're in this together. (laughs) These investors typically take a board seat, hold you accountable, and help you make decisions. 
your company now has a pre and post money valuation or how much is it, it's worth. These preferred stockholders will typically have a right of first refusal to invest in following rounds. And if you are doing well, they will want to. These deals take a long time and can be expensive to draft. Board seat, right of first refusal. All of this is standard, but both sides can make all these agreements difficult depending on what is driving them. And there is usually a lot of negotiation. At Nibmore and within other organizations, I've seen convertible notes and preferred stock used. I've seen standard things and insane asks. I've seen liquidation preferences that scare other investors away. A liquidation preference is a preference with a multiple when groups are being paid out upon acquisitions. Imagine an investor getting asked to be paid out four times their original money before anyone else gets paid out. Yeah, I've seen that. (laughs) It gets crazy and it can be a little scary and sometimes it can feel a little gross. Get a good lawyer who has done a lot of these kinds of deals in your space and figure out what is the most you are willing to part with and then stick to it. Let me repeat that. It is money well spent to spend an hour or two with your lawyer to tell them what you are willing and not willing to give and take in a transaction. When you are in it and still running a business, it can all get very stressful. Be clear and be intentional and stay calm or as calm as you can. Okay, now to the really tough stuff for some of us. (laughs) Asking for money from people you know. This was so, so hard for me. I was a professional actress when I started Nipmore. All my friends were actors, and working as an actor in New York City can be up and down. I had no idea if anyone I knew really had any money, but I had to try to pull my weight. My partner at Nibmore had a network. She was able to bring in cash with two phone calls. Literally, she picked up the phone twice, and she had a huge chunk of money. It was amazing. I'd never seen anything like it. It was going to be a bit harder for me because I was shooting arrows in the dark. I had to basically ask everyone I knew to increase the probability of getting money in the bank. So I developed a script, a way of approaching people in a way that didn't feel gross or bad or weird to me. I practiced and I went out into my everyday conversations with the intention that the opportunity to have these conversations would come. And it did. Now, before I get into what I actually said. I'm going to give you some guidelines. Number one, try to have these conversations in person. Face-to-face is always better, but if your rich aunt lives in California and you're in Philadelphia, I get it. Maybe at least try to FaceTime her. Number two, some people will want to know that you put in money. They want to make sure that you have skin in the game as well. So don't be surprised if you were asked this question. And don't be weird about it. They might even ask you how much. They may also ask you if you have any other committed money and who is committed to it. Again, this doesn't have to be weird. Just answer the question and move on. Number three, it's nothing personal if someone says no to you. 
It really isn't. After all, it's their money and they're under no obligation to give it to you. In fact, of the people I asked who I thought would be the least likely to put money in, those were the ones that did it. And some of the people who I thought were the most likely to put money in didn't. Okay. So here's how it went. Someone would say to me, how are you? What are you up to? And I would say, well, it's really interesting as my life has kind of taken a left turn. (laughs) I started a business like an actual business with a physical product. You know, I've always loved to cook. And as I started to cook more, I started to learn about chocolate and all of its health benefits. So I started making and selling chocolate bars and people are feeling pretty good about them. In fact, we're raising some money with friends and family right now. No pressure at all. But if you're interested in learning more about it, I'd love to share the deck we put together. At this point, some people would look at me like, Hev, I don't really have that much money. Or they'd asked, how much are you looking for? And I'd respond, well, this is a friends and family round, so you can invest as little as $5,000 or more if you'd like, and we can discuss that if it's an option for you. Some people were really enthusiastic and said, yes, please send me more info or even do you have it right now? I'd love to look at it. Others just simply told me they weren't in a position to put any money out there at all. And that was fine. Now, back to the guidelines slash rules. Number four, make sure you have something to send them. The product, a deck. We'll talk more about decks on next week's episode. Information and do it right away. Number five, follow up with the people you've sent information to. A few days after, text them to see that they received it and that it didn't end up in their spam folder. Ask them if they have any questions or if you can clarify anything for them. Number six, if there is no outright no, they didn't say no to you, right? Continue to follow up and give them updates on the cash you have committed from other people. This can be a big motivating factor, especially in a group of people who might know each other through you. And number seven, once someone has said no, a definitive no, cross them off the list and move on. Don't be that person who can't take no for an answer. Pursue better leads. That's the script and guidelines. Notice I've kept it warm and friendly and not over salesy. Be genuine and passionate about your product and people will put money in. If I could raise money amongst a group of perceived broke artists, you can find people too. I hope this all has provided some clarity. I know firsthand that fundraising can be intimidating and downright scary, but you've got this. I know you do. You started a company and developed a product. This is just one more thing. So put yourself out there. Next week, we'll end our first money discussion with what you need to build an investor deck and what belongs in a data room. We'll also dive deep into the question of whether or not you are really ready to take on investors at all. 
It's a huge question, and I think you'll be interested in some of the stories I have to tell you. They're pretty crazy. Remember, the fifth palette almost killed me always comes out on Tuesday afternoons. To get past and current business templates and tools, go to my website at heatherkterry.com and sign up for our newsletter. If you have an idea or question for the podcast, go over to anchor.com or download the Anchor app where this podcast is hosted. And what's really cool is that you can leave me a voicemail question or idea. It's really neat. Check it out. There are no bad ideas or suggestions, and I want to know what you need. So get over there and let me know. We want to hear from you. Now, get out there and do something to move your business forward, like writing a script to raise money and calling your mom. Till next time.